Welcome nerds. It's time to debrief you on the world of pop culture. Loading up rockabilly track. Now crafting sci-fi grenade. Preparing updates on movies, TV, wrestling and more. ANS 5.0 activates in 3, 2, 1. Welcome to the Amazing Nerd Show. Hey, this is Christian. Hey, this is Damon. And this is the Amazing Nerd Show. All right, on this week's podcast, we're breaking down the finale of Star Wars Andor. Plus, we get you up to date on all the latest nerd news. And of course, we got a review for AEW's Full Gear. All right, but before we move on, make sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. And while you're at it, give us a five-star review and DM us a screenshot. Not only will we read it on the show, but we'll send you some amazing nerd show swag. Let's get into the news. Every week we collect the biggest headlines and rumors of nerdum. We're not mild-mannered reporters, we're mere podcasters with opinions. Warning potential spoilers for upcoming films and shows ahead. Check timestamps to avoid spoilers. You have been warned. Alright, up first we've got a huge shocker. Bob Iger is back as Disney's CEO. Looks like we're switching Bobs once more at Disney as Bob Iger is reinstated as CEO of Walt Disney Company. In their official statement as reported by Deadline, Chepik has you know, stepped down and Iger has returned in his place, signing on to be the CEO for the next two years, all in time for the board to set up another successor after Iger leaves. According to Collider, Iger is already changing things up over at Disney by implementing a new approach that you know puts control back in the hands of the creators. It's believed that Chepik's run was focused on more of the you know content distribution and overall profits in order to kind of push Disney Plus, which ultimately put a stranglehold on Disney production and creativity over the last year. But in a memo sent out to the company, it looks like Iger wants to change that mentality entirely as it's nearly lost them $1.5 billion in the last quarter. What this means for Disney Plus content going forward is unknown, but with the success of you know Marvel experiments like Werewolf by Night, you'd have to imagine creative choices like that would flourish under Iger's you know, creative team's first approach. Yeah, I'm not sure because I could see them turning around and saying that we want to emphasize more theatrical releases, um, especially if that's what's, you know, making them more money, Um, you know, which would be disappointing because I've enjoyed for the most part what Marvel's been doing with the Disney Plus shows. It's really given like lesser known characters um a chance to you know you know just deepen their stories um you know characters like uh you know uh hawkeye and wanda and vision you know for example like we would have never got to spend this much time with them on the big screen so um it's just you know just adding so much depth to the mcu uh, so if that's the case, that would be disappointing, but we don't know if that that's true or not, uh, exactly. but across the board, we're kind of seeing this where a lot of these bigger studios are kind of taking emphasis off of, you know, streaming right now and mm. seemingly trying to right the ship by once again, you know, you know releasing more films, uh, the pandemic just kind of really, you know, screwed everyone up. Um, and now it seems like everyone's trying to correct the course and right the ship. Like, I like the idea of creators having more control, of course, but at the end of the day, it's still Iger who's greenlighting these projects. So I don't know exactly what that means. Unless underneath the old regime, they had just had too many cooks in the kitchen. 
um, and he saw that as a problem, and now he's trying to correct that. Uh, which, if that's the case, that's great. Because I'm sure Kevin Foggy doesn't want much oversight or needs much oversight. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I don't know. We'll, we'll see how it all plays out at the end of the day. I mean, I could see Star Wars, you know, like this having the biggest effect on Star Wars. Because who the hell knows what they're doing over there right now? Um, and the fact that they seem so focused on putting out Disney Plus shows mm-hmm. and just treading water when it comes to like any upcoming like theatrical releases, I'm guessing that is probably something he's going to want to correct because that's just leaving money on the table. Yeah, such a major staple for them to not be like pushing out films for it makes no sense. Exactly. Exactly. All right, up next, Marvel's upcoming Blade film has found its new director and writer. It's been revealed by Deadline that Jan Demons, who's directed on shows like Top Boy and Lovecraft Country, along with films like uh, White Boy Rick, will be on to direct the MCU's version of Blade. Along with him is a new writer as well in Michael Starberry, who's written on several miniseries. With the new team installed, media scooper Lizzie Hill reported a potential start date for production being in summer of 2020. Which may be enough time for them to hit that release date of September 6th, 2024. Yeah, I think that's my biggest concern because I don't know either of these two guys' work whatsoever. So, uh, you know, Love uh, Craft Country was good, but he only directed like an episode or two, right? Yeah, just one. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, we saw what happened last time when Blade shifted its release date, like it was a domino effect. So that's my concern. <laughs> so while, of course, I want the film to be great, um, it is my big worry that, you know, any more delays is going to cause like further like, you know, shifts down the line for, you know, the upcoming phase. Mm. Uh, so we'll have to wait and see. Uh, but they're saying you said summer of uh, 2023. Yeah, that's when the production would start. And once the release date? Yeah, it's September 2024. Okay, that should be enough time, hopefully, as long yeah, as they don't have any other delays. A month, uh, a year and some change. Yeah, yeah, I would think that they'd be able to, you know, get it out in time then. So, knock on wood. Up next, we've got casting rumors for the upcoming MCU Thunderbolts film. Rumor has it that Marvel is looking for their own evil Superman for the Thunderbolts to face off against. Industry insider Daniel RPK recently reported that Disney was looking for a well-known actor to play a role described as evil Superman, which has led to mass speculation on if the character in question could be either Hyperion or Sentry from the Marvel comics. Daniel RPK claimed they have been looking at actors like Ryan Gosling and Alexander Skarsgård for the role. And while there has been talk online about Henry Cavill playing such a role in the MCU, you'd have to guess that Warner Discovery and DC Studios have him pretty much tied up now. Maybe or maybe not. Uh, There was a report out this past weekend that Cavill doesn't actually have a contract uh, with uh, DC currently. But that doesn't mean that they don't have like a verbal agreement. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we'll have to wait and see on that front. Uh, We did hear that rumor, though. It was a couple months back that Cavill was uh, at least in line for this role. Um, At the time, they were saying it was going to be Hyperion, which I feel like makes the most sense if we're going to go with like an evil Superman, uh, you know, for Marvel, uh, especially since we're dealing with the multiverse right now. 
Sentry has the potential to be a great character in the MCU. I love the miniseries that introduced him into Marvel Comics. It was a really dark, captivating story that I would love to see on the screen one day, either as like a film or a miniseries, possibly on like Disney Plus. Um, in like the comics really like drop the ball with him afterwards. Uh, you know, his whole backstory got super convoluted and weird um, where I don't even know what he's doing currently uh in the comic books uh they, they've written him off multiple times at this point uh so i i don't know i, I feel like there's so much potential with the story and i would love to see foggy kind of get him right so if they choose to just like shoehorn him into another you know film um i feel like he won't get his just dues like he kind of i feel like origin story wise needs his own like you know film or series because, it, you know, to get the character right, I feel like he just needs to be the focus of whatever, you know, story they're telling. Um, and, like, if he's just randomly the big bad in, like, a Thunderbolts movie, I, I feel like that's not going to be the case. Do you remember if Sentry played any role in Secret Wars or anything like that? Because I don't recall him being a part of it. So I don't think he's a part of Hickman's Secret Wars storyline. Um, unless he like pops up on a uh, Doom's battle planet, but uh, Hyperion is like he, yeah, he's I, I, very. I remember Hyperion. That's why I was bringing it up because I was just like, maybe that would be the tie-in because it seems like uh, something that David Harbor brought up was like, oh, we're gonna have a big moment that like will be part of this film that will blow people's minds for the future of Marvel. Oh, but I have no idea. Oh, you're okay in that interview that Harbor did about yes. Thunderbolts. Yeah, I, I'm not sure. Uh, you know, Sentry is a big part of the aftermath of Secret Invasion, um, mm. which we know we have the Secret Invasion, um, you know, series coming to Disney Plus. Uh, once Norman Osborn takes over, you know, basically Shield, uh, he starts his. He takes the Thunderbolts and he turns them into the Dark Avengers, and Sentry is part of that team. So maybe you have Fontaine in the Thunderbolts trying to have Sentry be part of the team and it just going awry. Um, you know, I, I could see them, you know, kind of playing with that storyline from the comics uh, in that way. Now, in the comic books, like Norman, you know, he's the leader of the Dark Avengers, obviously. Mm -hmm. He's underneath the guise of Iron Patriot. Uh, but he's totally, like, manipulating um Robert Reynolds, who's Sentry, uh, into, like, you know, being part of the team and everything. And Reynolds just feels like he's kind of along for the ride. He eventually has a massive breakdown, uh, which is part of the fall of, um, you know, Osborne and crew. So um, he has a big moment at in the Siege um, uh, miniseries uh that you know sees norman lose control of uh you know the, the thunderbolts and you know basically Mar the marvel universe <laughs> so i mean Mar osborne you know was basically you know in the comics at least marvel's version of lex luthor for a while mm. like he was like the the big bad um of the marvel universe so um you know it, it just it would have been cool you know in hindsight if we could have had you know Norman kind of playing a giant role in, you know, the MCU. 
And who knows? I mean, we might eventually see Norman Osborn introduced to the MCU proper. Um, it would just be a little weird since we've already seen William Defoe's version of the character, you know, in the last, you know, Spider-Man film. So I don't know. I think they'll get over it. <laughs> no, I agree. And who knows with, you know, all the multiverse stuff going on, you know, in the next couple of phases. I mean, there's definitely ways that they can, you know, reintroduce the character. Mm. Um, we'll just have to wait and see. I just don't know if it'll be William Defoe playing him, which I would be fine with. Like, I love Defoe, but I mean, I understand why they'd want to, you know, bring in a younger actor, you know, exactly. for that role at this point. We also got a short story this week from Alex Perez over at Cosmic Circus about the next MCU Spider-Man film. It's alleged by industry sources that Spider-Man 4's production cycle is ramping up as it shifts into advanced pre-production for Spider-Man 4. There are many who believe that Sony could be making an announcement soon at an upcoming Comic-Con before the year's end, but that's mere speculation as Sony themselves haven't really confirmed if they are having a panel yet or not. Of course, Spider-Man 4 is on the way and you know Sony is chomping at the bit for that Spidey cash, so the likeliness of news coming at least by next spring isn't far-fetched. Last but not least, we got some possible Beetlejuice sequel casting news. Reporters from The Direct this week claim that Katherine O'Hara is set to reprise her role in the sequel to Beetlejuice, but there hasn't actually been an official statement released just yet, though you would have to imagine they want to grab as many of the original cast as they could. As far as directing goes, Tim Burton himself has been a little wishy-washy in statements if he is actually going to be involved with this project, which was announced by Brad Pitt's production company Plan B, though it seems like Michael Keaton and Renona Ryder are on to be in this film. Dude, off mic, you said we talked about this? before like this this being a thing and i i totally don't remember this at all like i mean for years there have been rumors about a sequel to beetlejuice but i didn't know like this is an actual thing you know being worked on right now so i'm i'm pretty excited for it um I, i'm guessing i was excited a couple months ago when we talked about it also uh most likely <laughs> i have no recollection whatsoever of this story uh Catherine o'hara like it took me 20 some years for some reason to realize that she was the voice of Sally in Nightmare Before Christmas. Like, I had no fucking clue that I did not know like, that she was voicing day. that character. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I, I, I don't know. That's that's all I have on Catherine O'Hara. But, uh, like, I mean, it, it makes sense for her to be back in the role. Um, exactly. You know, so she's out there working still currently. So why the hell not? It'll just be interesting to see who they choose to helm the project if they can't get Tim Burton on board. Mm -hmm. Because it's so distinctively like his style and his vision that I can't imagine anyone else doing this film. Um, exactly. I mean, those are almost the exact words that Michael Keaton said before, like a couple of years ago, where it's like, if we're going to do a sequel, it needs to be the exact same art style. Yeah. You know, otherwise, what's the point? Yeah. And like, it's just going to be so hard to kind of capture that without it feeling like, you know, a bad cover of someone else's work. But like I said before, I mean, this sequel has been a long time coming. Uh, this is something that I remember hearing rumors about in the 90s. <laughs> so uh, I'm all for it. I, I can't believe it, it's taken this long. So if we got everyone on board, I mean, let's get this shit done because it's about time. All right, Christian, the time has finally arrived. Let's break down the finale of Star Wars Andor. Warning spoiler alert. Major spoilers for Andor ahead. You have been warned. 
There is a wound that won't heal at the center of the galaxy. There is a darkness reaching like rust into, every, into everything around us. We let it grow, and now it's here. It's here, and it's not visiting anymore. It wants to stay. The Empire is a disease that thrives in darkness. It is never more alive than when we sleep. This week's episode starts off on Ferrix as all our pieces start coming together for the finale. In our very first shot, we're introduced to Pac's son, Wilman. It seems after his father was hung in the streets by the Empire, Pac's son you know, chose a path towards rebellion as we see him crafting bombs for Marva's funeral procession. And sadly enough, he's doing this while looking at a hologram of his dead father. I mean, as fucked up and sad as this moment was, like this was just another example of Luthen's plan coming to fruition. Like, it's just the cause and effect of what he wants to accomplish by challenging, you know, the Empire. Um, mm -hmm. You know, he's forcing the Empire to tighten their leash. This in turn causes more and more victims in their wake, just like this kid, who will eventually then, of course, stand up to face them. Meanwhile, Dedra Miro arrives on Ferrix. Knowing that her prey may be near, Dedra sets out on a patrol dressed as a citizen of Ferrix, in which Cinta actually catches on to when she sees her walking alongside one of the ISB agents that has been spying on Marva's home. Yeah, for a brief moment, I thought Cinta was going to go and like assassinate her or something. <laughs> I wouldn't be too surprised. It just seems like what she wants to do at all times. Yes, <laughs> she definitely has a bloodlust when it comes to the Empire. In the streets of Ferrix, we see Brasso run into our comms operator, Zan Wan, who had let Cassian know his mother had passed away. While letting Brasso know about the events of the call, they happened to get overheard by Nurchi, who tried to shake down Cassian in episode one. While Brasso attempts to you know, keep Zan Wan quiet, Nurchi would later get Zan Wan to confirm his suspicions of Andor making his way back to Ferrix for the funeral. When Cinta makes it back home that night, we see that Vel has returned to Ferrix, but isn't welcomed back quite the way that she had at least wanted from Cinta, especially after Cinta got caught up on mission after Miro's night on the town. Vel tries to get Cinta to slow down and, you know, see her, but it's just not quite who Cinta is as a person. She's all in on this rebellion and only focused on the rebellion. So going to this episode, I was really concerned that, like, both of these characters wouldn't survive. Mm -hmm. So coming out of this, I'm glad that we get to still like explore the relationship because, you know, there seems to be a lot going on there, you know, between the two um, and a lot of like meat left on the bone. You know, when Val is with her sister, she feels more like Cinta, where, you know, she's all about the cause and like strictly business. But mm -hmm. then, like, when Vel's with Cinta, like, I don't know, she brings something different out of her, where she's, like, almost, like, craving more. So I'd like to really see that explored in the next season. But yeah, honestly, uh, surprisingly low death count in this episode compared to what we've seen throughout this season. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, I was expecting a lot of casualties this mm. season. But, you know, besides, you know, some of, you know, the citizens of Eryx, 
there really weren't many. Like, everyone pretty much walked away unscathed. But I'm not upset at that at all. Meanwhile, across the galaxy, Mon Mothma may have figured out a way to get the focus off of herself as far as her banking situation goes. As when her and her driver, who is clearly a spy, pick up her dear husband, Mon is quick to start an argument in front of the driver about Perrin's gambling addiction. While Perrin denies that he has been gambling, it's pretty clear that the conversation was simply designed to be listened in on in the chance that the Empire discovers her missing funds. And as we see later on, her driver reports directly in to Agent Blevin on what he had heard about Mon Mothma and her husband's gambling. This is some 4D chess being played by Mon Mothma, mm -hmm. like totally framing her husband <laughs> to get them like off her trail. I love this. The thing was, I was actually believing her for a moment, then I realized, wait a minute, this is just to cover up that 400k. Uh-huh. I mean, it was really well played. And, like, uh -huh. the ISB, like, they need to get, like, better spies because these guys all, like, just stand out like sore thumbs. It's uh -huh. so obvious what they're doing. <laughs> Later on in the episode, Mon Mothma finishes up her arc, really, for the season as she decides to go through with Davos's plan and sets up a meeting between her daughter and his son, where Mon's daughter seems more than happy to follow, you know, the Chandrillan tradition of arranged marriages, at least for now. Though I did think it was interesting that we haven't heard any word on how Perrin feels about his daughter, you know, doing an arranged marriage. I don't know. I mean, that guy seems pretty self-absorbed, so I'm sure he doesn't really give a shit. You know, I and guess. I mean, and he's reaping the benefits of it, so it just doesn't seem like it would resonate with him like the same way emotionally that it would with like Mon Mothma. On Coruscant, we also learned of Anto Krieger's fate as there was no interference that came from Saul Guerrero, which, you know, led to the slaughter of Krieger and his men as discussed between Luthen and Saul last week. While the ISB looks at this as a win, especially since it pleases the Emperor, Dedra Miro actually, you know, wished that they had left someone alive for questioning as she tries to narrow down her hunt for Axis. I mean, it's all about the politics of optics, right? Um, mm. I do think the Emperor will eventually kind of see through this, and it might end up, you know, causing some kind of, like, blowback, which could, in turn, like, cause Miro to rise further in the ranks. Like, eventually, like, maybe even, like, you know, catapulting her to, you know, being in charge of the entire operation. Oh, yeah, I could see her taking the Major's job. Yeah, right. After that, we start to hear from the audio files from Nemec's manifesto as both Andor and Luthen land on Ferex. Cassian goes to visit his father Clem's funeral brick, where he remembers a time that Clem teached him about, you know, refurbishing old ship parts, which played as a good metaphor to the ever-growing rebellion around them needing to scrap things together to wage war. No, exactly. I mean, the scene was just the perfect metaphor for Ferex and the rebellion and really why the Empire is just so naive when it comes to the Rebellion's cause. Like, they, they just don't see it coming. And that's what it will eventually cause their downfall. And one angsty kid. <laughs> In the morning, Cyril Karn, along with his good buddy Mosk, make their way to Ferex. At the same time, though, Andor holds a secret meetup with Brasso, who slips out of the radar of the ISB in the tunnels mentioned before by Marva. Here we see Marva's prediction of how Cassian was going to feel and say was exactly true, as he almost verbatim to what Marva says blames himself 
for her passing, but Marvel left some parting words for Andor to push him forward through these dark times. Andor also learned about Bix's torture at the hotel ever since he left. Yeah, I could really tell how much Marva's words meant to Cassian. And I think it really freed him and allowed him then to, you know, go and try to free uh, Bix instead of attending Marva's, you know, funeral, which was, you know, the original, you know, reason he was there in the first place mm -hmm. which i don't know what he was planning on doing standing in the funeral or just i watching? don't know probably just watching from afar you know but, but now he can really use it as the perfect cover you know while he goes on his you know rescue mission when Brasso finally heads out to take part in the funeral, he is instantly noticed by Nurchi, who realizes where Andor must be hiding. He, of course, makes his way to find the ISB agent that had been watching Marva's home. But with a ring of the bells vibrating throughout you know, the city of Ferrix, the people begin gathering and preparing for Marva's funeral. This is just a masterclass of building tension. Like, as we watch all of the series storylines come to a boiling mm -hmm. point, uh, this is just a perfect example of how satisfying of a payoff you can get when you have such a well-crafted, like, slow-burn story. Tony Gilroy finally let us reach the carrot that he's been, you know, gleefully dangling in front of us for 12 episodes, you know, with, you know, this finale. Um, just, just amazing work. With the bands tuning up, we get a quick moment with Luthen finding Vel watching out for Andor. For the first time, we finally hear it from the man himself that he in fact does want Andor dead, as he exclaims his excitement for the proceedings ahead as he watches the Empire locate Andor for them with the hope to kill him before he can spill any information about Luthen to the enemy. Yeah, I mean, I guess we were wrong. He is a cold-hearted yeah. bastard. <laughs> in that first episode, he just felt so invested in Andor and, like, his backstory that it felt so, I don't know, unlikely that he would see Andor as so disposable. Mm -hmm. um, but, I mean, I guess that's just the, you know, cold reality of what Luthen has to do. Um, you know, and the responsibility that he has taken on by, you know, leading this rebellion. Yeah, I guess. Uh, I mean, just looking at him in other scenes throughout the episodes, you know, with him, every time he would bring up Andor, it just felt like he had personal concern for Andor rather than himself. So I, I guess we just misread the situation overall. Two halves of a band begin marching through the streets to Rick's Road, gaining the attention of all who are around, amassing a large crowd in Marva's honor. As Andor you know, watches on from across the way, the Empire scramble to create a perimeter as the crowd makes their way closer and closer. All the while, Nurchi's information makes it to Miro herself, who instead of sending a massive force to get Andor, only has a couple guards follow her to his location. While Andor is looking on across the crowd, he notices Luthen watching on, realizing that he's actually there for him. Though, he doesn't spot Karn and Mosk, who actually walk right past Luthen in this moment. All the while, Brasso begins to lead the charge into the square, holding Marva's brick while B2 follows. And with more of the focus being on the crowd, Andor then slips his way back into the tunnels, just in time before Miro is able to discover his location. 
in the square, B2 begins playing a large hologram of Marva addressing the people of Ferex, as if she was actually there among them. Listening on, we see not only the people of Ferex and the Empire, but a disheveled Bix pressing her ear to the prison window to hear Marva's words. Man, this show just knows how to deliver a monologue. Like, this was mm -hmm. chilling um, and just awe-inspiring. <laughs> Uh, I mean, if this didn't make you want to, like, pick up a rock and hurl it at some, like, <laughs> Imperial bootlegger, like, you don't have a pulse. Just once again, another example of an amazing performance in the series. While Marva may have passed away in her home, she did not go down without a fight, as she begins to incite the crowd, telling them that they've slept for too long, allowing the Empire's darkness to reach into Ferex. She asks the people of Ferex to fight for their home, and as she does, the overseer at Ferex attempts to stop the hologram, only winding up the crowd a bit more after pushing B2 over. Brasso then starts using Marva's brick as a weapon with a riot ensuing outside the Ferex hotel. Like, I totally knew it was gonna happen, but it was just so perfect having Brasso, like, take out stormtroopers with Marva's brick. I mean, you don't get more poetic than that. Uh-huh. I just, I, I kept looking at it like the way it's shaped. I thought he might have broke a piece off of it, but no, it was, it was just designed to look that way. <laughs> uh -huh. But honestly, like if he would have broken that thing in two over an Imperial officer's head, I don't think anyone or Marva for that matter would have an issue with no. it. In fact, I think that's probably <laughs> what she'd want. During all this, Andor used the tunnels to make his way inside the hotel in order to find Bix. Making his way around with the Empire focused on Marva's hologram and then the riot that happened soon after, Andor is able to find the broken down Bix who is a little bit too frightened to leave the hotel. Outside though, Pac's son Wilman finally uses one of his newly made grenades to kick this riot up a notch, and luckily throws a haymaker right into some explosive shells that were sitting outside the hotel, causing a massive domino effect of explosions that kills many who are near the hotel, including the snitch Nurchi. Poor Nurchi. Snitches get stitches, Christian. Or glass to the e face, apparently. Even in a galaxy <laughs> far, far away. <laughs> But after the bombing, it becomes open season for the Empire as they start firing on everyone they see. Andor is able to get Bix to go with him as they make their escape from the hotel. All the while, Miro finds herself in over her head as the people of Ferex begin to punt her skull like Randy Orton. It would have been awesome to see Brasso hit an RKO out of nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, once this started happening, I was like, oh my god, Christian's actually right. Karn is totally going to save her here, and that's exactly what happened. We then see Vel do the Batman run from Dawn of Justice into the Cloud of Smoke, while Cinta uses the distraction of everything going on to take out the ISB agent that had been watching Marva's home. Got that fascist pig, Cinta. You totally knew that was coming, right? Uh -huh. <laughs> like, for the last couple episodes, she's just been, like, licking her chops, waiting for her <laughs> moment to get the drop on this guy, and she finally did. Brasso is able to save Pac's son, Wilman, while Cyril Karn pretends to be one of the rebels and gets Miro away from the crowd, ultimately saving her, which led to a really weird sexually charged moment between the two of them that had me screaming, please don't kiss at the TV. I don't know, Christian. I think I kind of want to see these like psychopath love story play out <laughs> no this is a really I, really creepy moment <laughs> uh -huh. that'd be a huge mistake for both those characters uh, <laughs> i don't know man like knowing just how driven both of these characters are like i could see him really like you know becoming an asset in you know 
Miro's rise to the top. Mm -hmm. I just, they couldn't procreate. Uh, that child would be the worst. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah, it would feel like a Sith, like, you know, waiting to happen right there. Uh -huh. The fighting continues, but our main cast seems to slip out from the chaos as we see Vel and Cinta pack up their home on Ferrix and Andor, with the help of the daughters of Ferrix, get Brasso, Wilman, and Bix on a ship they had hidden in the junkyard. When Luthen returns to his own ship, though, he's met by Andor, who figured out Luthen was there to kill kill him, and ultimately close this loose end. But instead of taking out Luthen himself, Andor gives him his blaster and the ultimate choice to either kill him where he stands or bring him into the fold. And with a smile from Luthen, season one of Andor came to a close. Yeah, I mean, when this scene was happening, I, I wasn't sure how it was going to play out, because like part of me could see Cassian taking out Luthen. Yeah. Um, but at this point, he's so like, indoctrinated into the cause it made sense for him to show devotion for the cause and what luthan's doing you know by literally putting his life in luthan's hands um you know and it was the best way to really get luthan's trust and it's clear by the time we meet him in rogue one that you know luthan has sapped the soul out of him completely i don't know i, I feel like this series has shown that cassian already has that like you know shoot first mentality um he's already pretty hardened at this point i'm i'm sure you know serving you know years with the rebellion though you know would you know even you know cause him to become more um jaded but at the hmm. same time i would argue he still has a soul because he definitely does hesitate when it comes to you know, taking out, you know, Jin Erso's father. So that soul's still there. Um, I feel like if he didn't have a soul, he wouldn't be, you know, still fighting for the cause. But anyway, uh, you know, moving on, I guess it's time to give our grades for the entire season. Uh, up front, my grade is an A. I just feel like a show like this elevates the entire franchise. Um, because it adds just so much context and weight to exactly what we've been watching the Rebellion fight against all these years. Um, like, we get to witness the evil of the Empire up close and personal uh, on a much more grounded level, which makes it feel more real. I mean, this is the kind of show, like, we didn't necessarily see coming, but at the end of the day, I feel like we desperately needed to keep Star Wars as strong as ever. Um, I think like this could really chart a new course of where Star Wars could be headed in the future. Like showing creators that it's okay to take a big swing and deliver us different kind of tales. So it gets an A from me. Yeah, I love the aspect that this could open up doors to other creators to possibly give us something different with Star Wars. Because I mean... Trust me, I, I I love me a great saber duel and fucking big space battles. But with a show like this, you get you know a more heavy focus on these performances that just are so memorable that I, I'm it sticks with you a little bit harder than you know the the average clash of blades. You know, I thought what we got between every actor in this was fucking awesome, and it makes me like hate 
the you know the ending of Andor's life even more, knowing that that's the inevitable end to all this story. Is that you know we're gonna lose all these characters? It it, it just as you said brings so much more weight to the overall universe. Um, on a technical side, I thought there was no issues with this show. I never, you know, was once upset with CGI or any type of practical effect. Um, I thought they, you know, knocked it out of the park there. It feels like a full budget, you know, film. There's never an issue there, like what we've been seeing with some of the Marvel shows lately. Um, and I think this just added so much more value to Disney Plus. It keeps me coming back to Disney Plus to see what new creative takes they'll put on these bigger series and um, IP that they have. Because, you know, this and Werewolf by Night were so different from everything else we've gotten so far. So I, I'm, I'm going to be giving it an A as well. Um, I would give it an A- minus for Vel's shitty run in that last episode. <laughs> but... <laughs> It was weird, right? <laughs> yeah, she was just like light jog into the smoke. It made no sense. <laughs> she was running oh, like no. an 80 year old woman. Like it was just uh -huh. very strange. It was like half run, half power walk. I don't know. It was still better than Ezra Miller's run. Let's let's put it. Yeah, that oh, way. absolutely. Like her <laughs> arms weren't all of a sudden made out of rubber for some reason. Uh huh. And just flaying in the wind. Um. Yeah, I mean, when it comes to the CGI, I mean, there really wasn't tons, no. right, featured, um, which kind of led it led more to that like grounded feel. Yeah, I wasn't even thinking about like the technical side of the show, honestly. <laughs> Think about even the sound design in this show; it was so fucking well done with how the music is constantly wrapping up the tension, and some of the points where it's just so quiet in this show as well, compared to what you normally get in Star Wars. Mm -hmm. it, really well done. Yeah, we didn't even talk about the end credit scene. Like, I didn't even think to kind of wait around for it. I just started doing stuff while, like, the credits were rolling. And all of a sudden, I turned. And lo and behold, like, we see a bunch of, like, little droids, like, building the Death Star. Using the equipment that Andor and the rest of his prison mates were building the entire time while they were incarcerated. I mean, you can't really end on a more horrifying... <laughs> Note uh -huh. than that, especially having that pre-existing knowledge that Andor meets his end because of the Death Star. Um, I don't know, pretty fucked up. But anyway, that's going to do it for now. I'll make sure to join us next week as we'll be breaking down and reviewing the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special. And now a quick word from our sponsor, Manscaped. Hey you, got bush? Well, you definitely do if you haven't tried the best products from our sponsor today, Manscaped. Taking control of your bush is important. These products are so good, you're going to be showing pride in your new bush-free yard. It's a fact that you'll have the best-kept nutsack on the cul-de-sac, so save big and be the most hygienic version of yourself by using our discount code 20NERDSHOW for 20% off plus free shipping at manscaped.com. Listeners, you know I don't got bush because Manscaped helps keep my rocket raccoon high oh, and tight. Yeah. Whether you're looking to go bald like an eagle or just in need of a safe trim, Manscaped is dedicated to helping you level up your full body grooming game. Listeners, the grooming package I highly recommend is the Performance Package 4.0. That's because inside the package is the Lawnmower 4.0. This electric trimmer is a bush's worst nightmare. 
This trimmer is designed to reduce grooming accidents and shave hair on loose skin thanks to its ceramic blades and advanced skin-safe technology. No need for night vision goggles, this trimmer has a LED light to allow you to mow the lawn in the dark. It's basic landscaping. When you trim the hedges, the tree stands taller. The second best tool in the performance package is the Weed Whacker. This fine-tuned nose and ear hair trimmer will make sure your nasty nose pubes are under control. Instantly add some pep to your step with the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and Crop Reviver Spray-On Testy Toner. With a performance package purchase, you get two free gifts, a shed travel bag and the patented high-performance reduced chafing Manscaped boxers. They have a bunch of other products on their website to help you maximize your confidence and grooming game. So listeners get 20% off plus free shipping with our code 20NerdShow at Manscaped.com. Kate Bush may be trending at the moment, but your bush needs some help. That's right, so make sure you're running up that hill and get 20% off and free shipping at Manscaped.com by using our code 20NerdShow. It's time to level up your grooming game with the ultimate bushwhacking tools from Manscaped. With this being more of an abbreviated episode due to the holidays and there not being much other than, you know, Black Friday deal stories in gaming right now, we're going to just go ahead and move on to wrestling. But before that, just wanted to give a quick reminder about the Amazing Nerd Show's live content on Twitch. The Game Awards are coming on December 8th at 6 30 p.m central time so we may be doing a bonus stream to live react to the awards and new trailers that usually premiere otherwise we will be live with a couple new games this month in callisto protocol high on life and horizon forbidden west along with the completion of our god of war ragnarok playthrough make sure to check us out on twitter and in the future on hive as well along with all your other favorite social media platforms to know exactly what's going on with the Twitch side of the Amazing Nerd Show. And of course, join us live on the weekends. Stop by, say hi, and talk some games with me every Sunday through Tuesday. But with that said, let's move on to wrestling. All the times, they are a-changing. You wait your turn, baby. People pay to see me, not you. Let's talk, shall we? AEW is now destination television once again. The ship has been steered properly once again. This belt is now the most important belt in this entire sport. And it states the three letters. And it damn sure ain't AEW. I know for a motherfucking fact it ain't MOX. It's MJF. All right, this past weekend was AEW's full gear. Uh, All in all, I thought it was a pretty damn entertaining show. Uh, this week we won't be able to talk the aftermath like we usually do because we're recording a little early on Tuesday, uh, since it's Thanksgiving week, but we still wanted to get a show out there. So it is what it is. Uh, you know, we'll just have to talk the aftermath next week. Uh, first up before we get started on the main card, Christian, did you watch Zero Hour? I totally missed it. (laughs) It was probably the best Zero Hour they've ever done. Um, overall like match quality wise we had ricky starks uh defeating brian cage uh to advance in the tournament uh the tournament final has been pushed back to this wednesday um so you know we'll find out the outcome uh starks will be facing off against ethan page uh but with the results of the main event being what it is i could definitely see starks coming out the winner now um, you know, and facing against MJF. 
Also, we had the best friends, uh, plus Rocky Romero and Danhausen defeating the factory. Uh, Danhausen debuted his evil Danhausen character uh, that he's been teasing for the past couple weeks. Uh, overall, it was a pretty cool presentation. He had a giant spike with him. Uh, okay. His uh, half of his face was covered in blood. Uh, he pulled out the jar of teeth that he used a lot, you know, before, uh, you know, prior to AEW. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it was it was cool. You know, I was a little disappointed he didn't go with like more of the old school paint. Like there wasn't much of a variation to his uh, makeup. Other than like, you know, the bottom part of it being kind of covered in blood. Um, you know, he did something different with the eyebrows and stuff. But his old school, like evil Danhausen paint was just like a smeared mess. Uh, it was pretty dark and twisted, but I guess maybe he felt like it would be like too off brand <laughs> hmm. for people. Uh, but I mean, it worked regardless. And I thought it was a cool moment. And, you know, I mean, it actually allowed him to wrestle, which was kind of nice to uh you know so hopefully we'll see more of it but i i could see him just going back and returning to form and being like you know normal dan housing you know after this well they're gonna treat it like his um like this would be like finn balor turning into the demon i could see that i could see that i don't think he'll break it out too often um you know maybe when he needs some new merch or something like that or when the storyline dictates i mean what was honestly what was the last time we saw phil finn balor as the demon uh when he got when he randomly fell off the top rope against roman Reigns. oh my god that was horrible (laughs) yeah maybe they retired the character after that because that was that was god awful Um, who knows yeah but i could see it being similar to that honestly um which works uh, but yeah, no, overall, like I said, it was a very good, you know, pre-show. Uh, well, oh, we also had uh, Eddie Kingston versus uh, Akiyama, uh, which Kingston was super emotional for. It was a hard-hitting match. Um, afterwards, Kingston, you know, was giving Akiyama his, like, flowers and, you know, got on the mic and started to, like, really sell the pay-per-view and everything. It was, like, a really cool, like, genuine moment, and it's what makes Kingston Kingston. Like, he just Mm -hmm. feels so fucking real that it's just hard not to, like, have the crowd behind him 100%. Um, Hopefully, like... I know he's been doing this storyline where he's been having like these anger management issues. I almost wish they would just, you know, you know, move on from that and let's just get him back in the fold uh, main event wise, Um, because I feel like now that we've got MGF as champion, like there's so much potential there for a feud. Um, So I I don't know where that like anger management storyline was going but they kind of like dropped it over the last couple weeks you know due to like this dream match being possible and i don't know like this is the one instance where i'm okay with them like kind of just dropping a storyline and Uh moving (laughs) without any real like explanation behind it so uh but anyway uh let's move on to the main card yes uh starting off the actual show we had jungle boy jack perry defeating luchasaurus by submission in a steel cage match i was so happy when they said that there was an escape in the rules yeah i mean that has been you know their track record when it comes to cage matches Mm -hmm. in AEW, and that's really just a wwe trope 
like everywhere else like that's not a thing you know mm-hmm. like back in the territories and everything like that why the hell would the winner want to escape the, the, exactly. the cage like if this is all <laughs> like the accumulation of some kind of blood feud why would you like reward a person for running away like it makes no fucking sense logically so um this match like outperformed my expectations i don't know about you but i wasn't really that excited for this match when it was announced i was just like okay let's get this over with and move on but i really enjoyed this match um you know i thought both guys you know brought their a game and i i feel like it's gonna catapult uh jungle boy into like bigger things after that it does feel like kind of like the end of this chapter of the story um you know i i think i could see like you know them revisiting it like once christian is healed up uh, i think i said in the last podcast i could see a, t- a total scenario where like jungle boy is going for a title in like you know the next like six months and then all of a sudden christian makes his return and like costs him that match and mm-hmm. that rekindles the feud and everything like that but for right now like i want to see you know jungle boy start to gain steam again um you know as a singles competitor which is something that we really have never seen you know, from Jungle Boy in AEW. Uh, so it should be interesting. Oh, yeah. He he genuinely looked like a star by the end of this match. And uh, Luchasaurus did fantastic as well. This is like the first time where I felt like there was actually a little bit of animosity from him yes. against Jungle Boy. Yes. Um, it, it seems like they really crafted this match um, after uh, the Bad Blood, the first Hell in the Cell um, uh, match uh, in WWE, uh, which is an absolute classic um so i guess luchasaurus is a huge fan of that and like even uh jungle boy's tights uh was an homage to Shawn michaels tights in that oh, match okay. and if you're really like paying close attention you could definitely see sequences that were really like echoing that classic match so um yeah but i, I love it when wrestlers you know do that shit and like <laughs> do little homages and everything like that you know to like some of their favorite matches in the past and we see a lot of that in AEW. Mm-hmm. So, but anyway, yeah, this this match outperformed my expectations, you know, 100%. So, uh, up next, we had Death Triangle defeating the Elite, which took me by surprise. I did not expect Death Triangle to come out of that one. No, huge return, giant pop for the Elite. Um, mm-hmm. I love their use of Wayward Son. Uh, the crowd was super into it. They were singing along by the time they hit the ring. You could tell that it was super emotional for everyone involved. Um, I also did not see this outcome. I really thought it was just kind of a given that Death Triangle was going to, you know, you know, hand over those belts to the elite. And we were going to kind of like start back at square one where we left off after, uh, you mm-hmm. know, all out. Um but I'm kind of glad that it didn't go down that way because I thought it made sense storyline-wise from what we're getting with Death Triangle leading up to uh, this pay-per-view. Like, we saw kind of like this battle for, you know, the group's soul, Pac trying to, you know, turn the team to the dark side. Uh, I thought it was a smart choice to have it be like Phoenix, you know, being the one to, you know, use the hammer at the end of the day because, it, you know, you know, we've seen... You know, Penta, you know, dabble as a heel here and there in AEW. But we've never seen, you know, Ray travel that road. So, you know, it, it's something new. It's something different. Um, 
I'm curious to see where this leads the trio. Um, they announced afterwards that we were going to be getting uh, best out of seven series. Yes. <laughs> Which is just insane. Um, I love, you know, series like this, though. Uh, like the first one I could remember is uh, Chris Benoit against Booker T back in the day in WCW. I think they had like a best of. I don't know if it was a best of seven. It might have been a best of five, but it did big things for both guys. And like every match got progressively better. Now, I can't imagine that being the case with, you know, this, you know, series, just because like this match was so damn good that like, how do you top that night after night? But I'm sure they'll find a way to do it. So um, it's just going to be cool to see them try to tell a different story in every mm. single one of the matches now do we know is the belt on the line every match or is it just gonna be rewarded to the person who wins the series i believe it's just who wins the series but i'm not 100 if it's every single week i think it's just whoever wins the series okay because the belt was on the line here and this is considered mm. the first match of the series uh but you know, regardless, it's going to make for a lot of awesome matches on TV. Uh, so there's nothing wrong with that. And it's going to carry all the way into like January. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, man, I mean, hell, at least we know we're going to have an awesome match, like basically every dynamite, you know, for yes. the next month or so. So there's nothing wrong with that. It's like it's basically was... like the leech trying to make up for lost time. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Pretty crazy. Like I like I will say, uh, Cesaro versus Sheamus's uh, best of seven drove me insane. Really? Uh, I, I, I just didn't. I was not a fan of they it. They had at some the time. bangers. I mean, maybe that's a case of hindsight being twenty twenty because you know we got the bar out of it. But mm. I don't, I remember enjoying that at the time, just because both guys were beating the shit out of each other. <laughs> So I'm all for that kind of match. I definitely feel like there's more variables, though, that can be done with, you know, two trios teams. Oh, at well, least. yeah, you're not going to get yeah. that kind of match out of <laughs> out of that triangle. And I mean, maybe for one of the matches, but no, I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying with a Sheamus and, you know, Cesaro uh, match, like it was awesome to see them beat the shit out of each other because that's what you expect from those guys. No, you're just going to see some like circus type, you know, matches every week on Dynamite. You know, when it comes to the elite versus death triangle. So um, I just can't imagine like what they're going to have left by that seventh match. Cause you know, it's going to go down to the seventh match. Mm -hmm. I can see, I honestly could see the elite going down. Oh, and three. Like I could see like it coming down to the wire where like the elite has like, you know, the, if they lose one more match, they're eliminated. You know, and then they have to, like, pull off the impossible of winning, like, four in a row or something like that. Like, them telling that story. What do they say? Ring rust or yeah, something? Like absolutely. Like, two months gone? Yeah, two and a half. Even though they came back this first batch and looked like nothing had day they hadn't still been gone. lost. Or maybe Death Triangle <laughs> keeps on cheating. Hmm. You know? That's a fair point. So, uh, and we know, I mean, they were already playing up the ring rust uh, storyline with Kenny before he got suspended. Mm -hmm. So, I could totally see them going that route. Well, moving along, we had Jade Cargill defeating Nyla Rose to regain her TBS championship in more ways than one. Yeah, this match wasn't great. Um, yeah. I don't know. I don't know if it was just a clash of styles. Um, any match where Jade has to sell a lot seems like kind of a struggle for her. I mean, we've literally seen all of her matches. Like, she's only had the 42 matches 
you know, that she's had on AEW TV. That's not many matches. So, I mean, she's still very green and she's only really been playing one role, which is the dominant force in all these matches. So when she's going up against someone, you know, like Nyla, it's such a shift for her that I Mm. felt like it kind of threw off the chemistry in this match. Um, I don't know. I just I wish AEW did more like house shows and stuff like that. So like, you know, talent like Jade could get more experience because I think it would help her a lot. Um, You know, overall, the match was okay, but compared to the rest of the card, it definitely kind of stands out like a sore thumb. I mean, I I still see improvement, at least in Jade each time. No one's one's saying that she's not improving, Christian. This Mm. just wasn't a very good match. (laughs) Let's not sugarcoat it, man. (laughs) (laughs) She needs to learn how to sell, you know? And I like, it it just felt like both of them were a little off too. Like they just were never on the same page. So, and this, this storyline has been awful also. So that didn't help. (laughs) No, this is one I'm ready for them to sweep under the rug and move on. I'm glad that Nyla got the spotlight. Um, I just wish it was booked better. Mm-hmm. All right, and then up next we had Jericho, Danielson, Castanoli, and Guevara in a fatal four-way for that Ring of Honor world title where Jericho came out on top. Yeah, I mean, as predicted, uh, it didn't still stop the match from being a great, you know, banger of a match. I really enjoyed the story within the story of the match, you know, seeing the friction between, you know, both sides. Um, you know, that being uh, the Blackpool Combat Club and, you know, JAS. Um, there were a few times where I, I actually thought, like, you know, Brian was going to win or Sammy was going to win, mm-hmm. which is crazy to say. But that's just a credit to, like, how well laid out this match was, um, you know, which is should be no big surprise to anyone. <laughs> I'm just done I think at the end of the day with seeing the Blackpool Combat Club go up against, you know, Jericho and crew, like, I want to move on from the storyline. But at the same time, I could see this also headlining the next Ring of Honor pay-per-view. Like, you know, Mm. either Claudio or, you know, Danielson getting a shot again at Jericho. Um, (laughs) It'd be cool if they did Guevara. Like, that would be interesting, but I just don't see that you know, being mm. in the cards right now, because I feel like that would paint Jericho as the baby face, which is what they wouldn't want to do. Because right now, Guevara doesn't have enough, like, equity with the crowd, you know, to turn face again. Um, Even though, like, he was pretty fucking spectacular in this match, but mm. people still fucking hate the guy. <laughs> <laughs> so he's got a they lot of work popped. to do. I, they yes. at least popped when he turned. Yes, yes, yes but... You know, it was one of those pops where, like, they popped and, like, I wouldn't have been surprised if you heard that that chant we heard, like, a couple weeks back where, like, you still suck. <laughs> uh-huh. chant, which I've never heard <laughs> before. Like, hey, we'll give you credit. That was awesome. But, you know, you still suck. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, no, I, 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 I'm just done with the storyline. Hopefully they find someone else to, you know, challenge Jericho. Because I do feel like, you know, like while I love the Ring of Jericho, it just needs a little freshening up at this point. Hmm. I, I mean, I can't I'm not I can't think of someone that they have right now that's outside of the combat club. That's a big enough name for Jericho. You know, 
I mean, they could just bring in someone that's you know been Ring of Honor famous for many years. Yeah, they, I don't know who that would be to headline a pay per view mm-hmm. though. And I could be wrong about this, and like once we get off mic, you know, a couple names will pop up in my head. But like, I can't think like just of a big enough name to really you know go up against Jericho at this point. Mm-hmm. Like, especially like you need a wrestler's wrestler for this storyline. You know, since you know Jericho's whole thing is you know being a sports entertainer. Um, I mean, the biggest issue is that Joe is like tied up right yeah, now with all this. You other know, stuff, that's so. the one name that makes mm-hmm. sense within AEW would be joe um but since he's heel and everything he's got the other two belts i i uh-huh. don't foresee that being the case and while i would love to see like bandito get a rematch against jericho i, I don't think that's going to be big enough for what tony mm. wants to do uh you know with the pay-per-view unfortunately like they haven't built up bandito enough with the AEW crowd because i mean you're gonna get the ring of honor fans regardless but i you know he's really trying to attract those other fans you know yeah. and the, i mean rightfully so they've done some of the the biggest you know pay-per-view numbers in ring of honor history this past year since you know tony's bought the company um and they want to maintain that because they're still trying to attract suitors for you know a tv show um I just don't know. I don't know. Like, I feel like it's going to end up being just, you know, either Danielson or, you know, Claudio, you know, probably Claudio um, at the pay-per-view, honestly. So because Danielson has had a lot of like shots at Jericho mm-hmm. at this point. And I mean, we'll get into it later, but I feel like after this show, I don't know how much longer the combat club really has. Yeah. You know, with how much they've been losing. That's and true. Now this. You so know, honestly, like I always thought it was going to go back to Daniel Garcia eventually but they've done nothing Mm. with that storyline recently so you know i was like okay well he's joined you know he's sided with jericho for now but i feel like eventually they'll revisit that Mm. and they you know he's disappeared you know since you know the climax of that you know whole angle took place um you know he wasn't even on this card so i don't know i don't know where they're headed up next we have soraya in her comeback match against Britt baker Getting the win. All in all, I thought this was good. Um, you know, Soraya has over five years of, you know, ring rust mm-hmm. on her. And she has admittedly not been able to really train. Like, she hasn't trained, it sounds like, at all since, you know, until the, the doctor cleared her. Um, you could tell it, it felt like she was a little, like, tentative out there at first. Um but eventually, by like mid match, you know, she starts to kind of like get back into the groove. I feel like Britt deserves a lot of credit. You could tell that she was kind of like, you know, pulling her through the match. Um, I just wish this was a bigger moment overall. And I feel like it's due to like the kind of convoluted storyline that they were playing, you know, with this whole like, AEW original versus like outsider type deal that they were doing with the buildup, um, where I feel like they should have just focused on like this being the comeback of you know Soraya, you know, to the mm. ring, and like this would have emotionally like resonated more with the crowd because the crowd, I mean, it, it it's the long card, but they just didn't feel as into it as they should have. Um, also, I feel like this match could have been about like three minutes shorter, 
you know, I was surprised it was as long as it was, um, knowing that it was Soraya's first match back. You know, I feel like 10 minutes, nine minutes would have been fine. Mm. You know, do what you came to do and get out, you know? Um, so, but you know, it was definitely apparent by the end, you know, like with her finish, that was like the weakest I've ever seen anyone pull off that move yeah. ever, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know if that was just due to like exhaustion or, you know, her still being a little, I don't know, t- tentative with, you know, bumping and I don't blame her whatsoever. Mm. Uh but yeah, I just wish they would have built more up to Britt Baker and had Soraya face off against like a couple more heels that are lower on the totem pole, you know, that she could kind of like get her bearings before she had like this big of a match. Um, you know, mm. similar to what they kind of did with CM Punk, you know, um, I mean, Darby is no one to sneeze at, but like, I mean, they built him up throughout the months until he, you know, got more into the main event, you know, picture, um, you know, and part of the storyline that they were telling was, you know, punk shaking off the ring rust. Um, I think that would have been the smarter way to go for Soraya here. Cause like, I feel like a perfect opponent would have been like Serena Deeb, someone who could like really still pull off that, like, um, carry job. Yeah. That would be a good opponent because that's someone who's safe that, you know, regardless is going to, make sure that Soraya looks good at the end of the day. And not that, you know, Soraya walked away looking lesser than it just felt like too much too soon. And I, once again, I just hate the fucking storyline. I really felt like it was such a missed opportunity, you know, to tell a more like just emotional story. Um, Like why, why step on that? I don't get it. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes, yeah, Soraya versus Brit is probably the biggest match they they could have on this you know card for the women's division but if it's not the right time it's not the right time and if it's going to kind of paint Soraya into a corner that you know is going to lead to her getting a mixed reaction and her first comeback match you know and her first match in the promotion then why do it you know let her build up steam you know until you know she's ready um, for that, um, you know, tell that comeback story first and then get her to, you know, you know, Brit. And then you can tell this kind of like, you know, you know, AEW original versus the outsider, you know, storyline. If that's what they're trying to tell. Like, I don't know. I don't know if just the promos went off the rail and they're kind of forced into a corner to tell this story. Um, you know, since it feels like both, you know, it's, it just feels like in AEW, the wrestlers get a lot of like control, like creative ownership over their promos. And, you know, we've seen in the past with the company where a line or two comes out in the middle of a promo that really doesn't make any sense for the character. Uh-huh. <laughs> I just wish sometimes they would have a little more o- oversight, you know, at the end of the day, because just a couple lines here and there can totally shift a storyline and change like the feel of the entire angle um and i kind of suspect that's what happened here you know maybe you know saray didn't mean to paint aw as lesser than and you know wwe being the end all be all but that's kind of what you know she She said yeah she said in that promo and you know 
Britt's reaction to it really riled up the crowd. <laughs> and like the, you know, the audience in the pay-per-view, they were definitely kind to Soraya. It's not like she was getting booed out of the building, but it just, it just mm. could have been such a huge moment. It, it just wasn't. Uh, up next, we had a triple threat match between Joe Wardlow and powerhouse Hobbs for the TNT championship with Samoa Joe coming out on top now being a double television champion. Yeah, I didn't see this outcome happening. Um, I was really pulling for Hobbs here um, to mm. walk away with the TNT title. Um, I feel like it really could have like catapulted him into, you know, almost main event status. Um, so I don't know. In the long run, I was a little disappointed by this. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what they do with, you know, Joe and Wardlow now, because I'm guessing that's where this is all headed, unless they yeah. end up having another three-way at, you know, the Ring of Honor pay-per-view. Um, but I, I don't foresee the TNT belt being on the line, you know, at that pay-per-view. I think it'll just be for the, the TV title. But, like, are you going to have Wardlow win the Ring of Honor TV title? Is that what... <laughs> we're just swapping belts here yeah like is that what's happening <laughs> like, i mean it's better than you know what happens in wwe where like they have like tag teams once they get drafted and their champions just hand switch belts you know uh, in the middle of the ring or I, I think that actually happened with the women's title right yes. right they had becky and charlotte like trade belts didn't want to <laughs> yeah that caused that horribly <laughs> awkward situation with Charlotte throwing down the belts because she was unhappy with the whole storyline. Um, yeah, I don't know, man. Like, the match itself was fine. Um, it was interesting to see Wardlow be kind of like the small guy <laughs> uh <-huh>. <laughs> <laughs> in the match. And, you know, he was really kind of able to show off his skills. Um, you know, we saw some, you know, bigger moves from him, uh, moves that we wouldn't typically see, um, you know, in a regular Wardlow match where he would be, you know, obviously the giant. Um, you know, compared to the rest of the AEW roster. Um, but other than that, I mean, this match was just kind of there for me. Um, and I, I've just, I don't know. I, I'm confused on where they're headed with this storyline. Well, it doesn't feel like this is going to do anything for Hobbs in particular after this. No, no, I agree. And that that's, I think that's at the end of the day, why I kind of walked away from this match with like a sour taste in my mouth. You know, because I was really kind of expecting Hobbs to have a chance to shine. And they gave Hobbs a lot of offense um, mm -hmm. in this match and made him look like a monster. But at the end of the day, he still lost, which, you know, after coming out of that Starks feud with the loss, I don't know. I really I was really hoping that we'd see Hobbs win the belt here and then go into a program against Starks. Because it feels like there's so much meat on the bone, you know, you know, between mm. those two guys that we can, you know, that we haven't really explored yet. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I just was disappointed with the story overall, I guess. I mean, maybe there's a chance that, you know, once Joe and Wardlow are done with one another, Hobbs shows back up saying, I, I deserve a one-on-one. -on -one opportunity and that's where that goes but maybe who knows i don't know like i could see another three-way happening in uh -huh. the future between these guys um which is fine like because it's more of the story that i'm disappointed in than the match itself the match was fine mm. so but anyway uh up next we had sting and darby allen defeating jeff jarrett and jay lethal in a no dq tag team match i didn't think in a million years in 2022 we would get a tna chant in the middle of uh, a <laughs> w pay-per-view um 
I'm not gonna lie. Like I don't know, man. I got goosebumps. I <laughs> I'm a defender of those early years of TNA. I don't feel like uh. that company gets enough credit, you know, because they were like a huge alternative to WWE at the time. Um, you know, introduced me to so many great wrestlers. So I always have a warm place in my heart for TNA, you know, those early years, um, mm. you know, warts and all. <laughs> Jeff Jarrett, I mean, for being a dude in his mid to late 50s, I think. I mean, the guy looks like a million bucks out there. Like he looks better than he did in like the like early 2000s somehow. Uh, the match was what, you know, we've come to expect from these like, you know, Darby and Sting tag matches. Um, yeah, Sting almost killed yeah, himself again. <laughs> what the fuck, man? He went face first to this time. That was scary. That was uh, scary. And I was like, the, like he disappeared too for a little bit. I was uh-huh. like, get the fucking camera on him. Where is he? <laughs> is he okay? <laughs> yeah. Um, <sighs> do we? Do we think? Because I mean, you know, I was a little surprised that Sting and Darby walked out here mm. and you know, winning. Um, I don't know what that means for Jeff Jarrett and, you know, this little faction. I'm hoping this is a one and done type deal and Jarrett can just, you know, go back to, you know, his day job with the company, you know, booking, uh, you know, the, the tours now. Um, but with that being said, I mean, do we feel like Sting and Darby are going to eventually ever get a title shot? Because I it, like for those tag oh. team titles, because they're undefeated. A hundred percent. I don't know. I mean, because you, you got to imagine the guns are probably going up against the uh, the tag chain. I don't soon. think so. I think the guns are going to be in the trios picture for a while. Like, I feel like they're going to win those trio belts, you know, eventually whenever the you know best of seven series is done uh-huh. with. Um, <laughs> I think FTR will eventually be tag champs, um, you know, either by the year's end or early next year. Um, I don't know. Like, I don't know if it's just the nostalgia side of things that makes me want to see sting with some gold around his waist. Um, not that that's going to definitely happen if they get, you know, a, a tag title match, but it'd be kind of cool to see sting kind of go out on top. Um, and it just, I mean, storyline wise, it makes no sense why they wouldn't, you know, get a tag team, you know, title shot, like a championship shot at this point. Um, you know, since they've been together for like two years now at this point. Yeah. Um, maybe I, I, I don't see them winning the titles ever, but yeah. I could... yeah, I don't either. But I don't know. It'd be cool <laughs> for like a one off type deal where they win it for like a week or two, like just be transitional champions and, you know, hand the belts off to some other like heel team or something. Um, but who knows? I mean, this was a fun match overall. Um, I'm glad Sting's still alive. <laughs> And hopefully we don't have to deal with Jeff Jarrett on TV for much longer. I won't be surprised if on Wednesday Sanjay again comes out and issues another challenge to that. Just because it seems like, you know, um, Jay Lethal just keeps coming back to Darby Allen in different ways. And and they're going to need matches for winter is coming. So that's just it just seems Tony like that's Khan where I'm going. has to love Jay Lethal because I know he oh, yeah. like after he first signed him, there was like a couple months where like he Jay Lethal did the typical like new signee thing and just like disappeared from TV. Mm-hmm. Um, but then after that, like he has been one of the most like booked consistently wrestler on the roster. Like he's part of like every dynamite. 
He's always in a program. So, like, Khan must love Lethal. He really must. Because, I mean, re- who else can we say that of, you know, on the roster right now? Not many, other than maybe, like, the combat club. Yeah, like, you know, the main event guys. But, yeah, uh, as a, a mid-card guy, I mean, there's not really many wrestlers better booked than Lethal. I mean, he's losing left and right, but he's still consistently <laughs> on the show. Uh-huh. You know, I still have no clue where the fuck Miro is in the meantime. <laughs> But, you know, when he does come back, I'm sure he'll be facing lethal, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Up next, we had Jamie Hayter becoming your new interim AEW Women's World Champion over Tony Storm. I think we both saw this coming. Um, it just makes sense. I'm glad that Khan, like, pulled the trigger here and didn't do his typical thing of, like, waiting a little too long and, like, miss the moment. Um, when the moment's like right in front of him, um, you know, I mean, I guess you could argue he did actually miss that moment last pay-per-view, uh, uh, but he, he, I mean, he at least righted the ship and uh, we, we got to watch Tony storm really kind of like elevate the women's division in the meantime, because it's just, you know, like the division as a whole has just been so much better since she has signed on. Because, you know, talk about being consistently booked. Like she has also been focused on, you know, since she's really started with the company, Um, you know, and she's re- like, I think she went on like a huge streak where she had a match like every Dynamite um, for like a month or two, uh, which not many women can say, um, sadly. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, she's really, you know, done what she's can to, you know, help, you know, bring legitimacy to the division. It's just a shame that, you know, it's more of a timing thing where I feel like she would have gotten more of the flowers that she deserves if it wasn't for Hater being as hot as she is right now. Um, so, but yeah, I, we'll see what happens here. I'm guessing this might end up being the start of, you know, tension between Hater and Britt, even though we didn't see anything during this match. Um, I could see Tony getting a rematch um, and then eventually uh, after that, eventually going into the Britt Hater story, um, which once again, I hope Tony doesn't stall here and you know because hmm. this this is another storyline that <laughs> has been a long time coming it just it feels like now all the ducks are in the row and it's the perfect time to pull the trigger so let's do this man um because i feel like that's the most interesting outcome of haters you know title reign you know not that i don't think she's gonna be a great you know champion but i just feel like storyline wise that's what everyone wants to kind of see yeah um you know, and I, I just, I, you know, over the past month, I got to give Khan credit because you've had multiple women's storylines happening all at once. And hopefully that's just like the tip of the iceberg and kind of where we're headed in the future. Now. Um, Overall, for the match, I was really into it until they did the Rebel spot. That that just kind of threw it off for me a little uh, bit. Um, I don't know why she just wasn't out there to begin with. That would make more sense for ejecting her, not just her showing up for two seconds and then leaving. Although I felt like when she came out and they started to do like all the antics, that's when the crowd started to really get into the match itself. Yeah. So I I know what you're saying. hundred percent. But I felt like it at least woke up the crowd. 
So I'll give credit where credit's due. <laughs> I also, while I understand, you know, it's it was to help out Hater, I felt like Britt shouldn't have shown up after her match with Soraya. Um, I think it's just to sell I think it. it's gonna play. I understand what you're saying once again. Um, but I think it's going to end up playing into their storyline where mm. Britt can turn around and say. You know, I helped you win that championship. Yeah. You wouldn't be champion if it wasn't for me. You know, I think that's just kind of a storyline thing. I mean, we've seen wrestlers come back from a lot worse, too, also during the match. Yes. So I understand what you're saying. But <laughs> at this point, things shouldn't change. It is what it is. Like, I'm not going to harp on this moment because of that. Uh-huh. Once again, I've seen Mankind, <laughs> after getting thrown off the Hell in a Cell, make a run uh-huh. in the main events. <laughs> Of a pay-per-view. And then be on the show the next night. <laughs> Two spots in the hell of the cell. And then doing Yes. That. Yes. Know, and thumbtacks. And having a tooth <sighs> come out of his nose. Yes. <laughs> All right. Uh, up next, we had the acclaimed defeating Swerve in Our Glory uh, to retain their tag team championships. So out of the three matches that they've had on pay-per-view, I feel like this was the less of, you know, the three. Um I, I'm glad the storyline has progressed finally between Swerve and Keith Lee. Um, it makes sense, and it feels like this is kind of the final chapter between you know uh, the acclaimed, you know, and you know Swerve to our glory because I I do feel like it's time for the acclaimed to have new challengers. Um, uh, but the match itself didn't do much for me. This is another match where I feel like they could have shaved off like maybe five minutes of it and just kind of you know, get to where they're going a lot quicker and it would have been a lot more effective. Um, But, you know, at the end of the day, like, it was still a fine match. Like, I'm not, you know, mad at it, but I don't know. There was just a better way to tell this story. Um, Keith Lee just kind of walking out on Swerve 2, it just felt a little flat to me. Um, Like, I was just expecting, I think, that moment to be bigger um Mm -hmm. you know since we've you know been building up to it for months um and it was fine the way they executed it but it still wasn't as big as it could have been i guess no i I don't think it does too much for the story for keith lee to be the one that walks out you know like it 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 would make more sense for the heel to do something more you know devious in that moment like we've seen swerve do so many things to almost attack him. It just made more sense to me that he would, you know, finally, you know, pull the trigger. Yeah, I agree. Like, it, I would have booked it where you would have Swerve, you know, try to get Keith Lee to cheat. Keith Lee refuses. So then Swerve turns around and lays Keith Lee out and leaves him lying and walks away. So then going into, like, you know, their upcoming feud, you've got tons of heat on Swerve. That just feels like the best way to book this angle, you know, with the future in mind. Um, and I think it would have just, it would have ended the match with a lot more, you know, heat. Um, but at the same time, I think maybe they were trying to set up the acclaim, you know, for a bigger, like, celebratory win. Where if they have to pin Keith Lee, it just kind of feels like, oh, gross, you know, we're, we're you know... We're going through the motions. We're going to take the win to take the win, but it's hard for us to celebrate when we know what just went down. So maybe that was kind of like the mindset that they had, where here we're seeing the heel get their just due. 
Um, so I'm, maybe that's why Tony booked it that way. I guess, I, I mean, I feel like the Acclaimed are a hard team to do this against, you know, because the way that they act a lot in the ring is that they're not too afraid to do kind of, you know, underhanded tactics every yeah, once in a while. Yeah, especially Max Caster, right? <laughs> exactly. So you have like Keith Lee over here, you know, preaching like we can't do anything to cheat. Meanwhile, the other team is doing whatever the fuck they want in the ring. <laughs> That's true. Um, hold on one second. Also, like, there's a redundancy in storylines here because you have a very similar storyline happening mm-hmm. in the trios match, you know, with, you know, Ray choosing to cheat, like, you know, and succumb to the dark side. And then you have Keith Lee, you know, basically, you know, turning down, you know, the Sith Lord that is, you know, swerve here and, you know, choosing to, you know, remain a Jedi and walk away. And then, you know, in the main event, it, it, it's a very similar storyline where we get another, like, heel turn. So there is a little bit of a redundancy issue, you know, in, in this, I mean, yeah. uh, you know, for one card to have that many, like, you know, possible turns <laughs> feels... It's definitely being written by one guy. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I would times. just... I don't know. I would think <laughs> since it's being written by one guy, he would see that. But I don't know. I, it just feels like that happens a lot in AEW. Mm. Um, and I'm not saying you can't have t- like two heel turns or two face turns on the same card, but to have like three matches kind of feature that angle feels a bit much. But now with the acclaim moving forward, we've talked about this multiple times where we see FTR with the championship, but do you see them taking it off the acclaimed? I don't know. I don't know. And I, I mean, because that's almost why I would put the guns in to steal it from them, especially since they have you know a feud going on with both teams oh in, in different respects i don't know if i'm ready for a, a guns uh title run <laughs> and i don't know if they're ready so uh, i see what you're saying and it, it feels it, it feels like it makes sense to have a transitional champion but they might just go ahead and do a babyface versus babyface storyline which they've worked in the past um it Mm. just won't i feel like it just won't be as big of a moment as it could be if you know ftr was winning those belts against like a heel tag team all right well last but not least we had john moxley going up against mjf for the aew world championship and mjf finally did it Yes, it was a huge historical moment, uh, I believe, for the company. I do believe that. It's not just, you know, MJF's promo line. Um, I feel like it's the start of a new chapter for AEW because he's the first pillar to win a world title. I wasn't prepared for the crowd to turn so hard on Moxley, um, even though it seemed like he really enjoyed it. Uh, (laughs) Turn this match... Uh, but I, I thought it made for a fun dynamic between the two. Uh, you know, the match itself was fine. Like, I don't think it was one of the better, like, main events that we've had on a pay-per-view. Um, mm-hmm. but, you know, it got them from point A to point B. You know, it was entertaining. Um, and we had the big heel turn that we were kind of expecting from, you know, William Regal. I mean, we've been calling it for a while, along with a lot of other people, obviously, because, um, I mean, who the hell would trust William Regal 
<laughs> that's that's absolutely on the Blackpool Combat Club. <laughs> like, uh-huh. like if you didn't see that coming, guys, <laughs> knowing his history and everything like that. But storyline wise, I did think they did a great job of setting this up because one thing that they kept on emphasizing over the past month, you know, because just by like casually mentioning it is the fact that Moxley ended Regal's career. So I definitely Ooh. feel like that's going to come into play here. You know, that's going to be part of the reasoning behind Regal's turn. Um, yes, I, I feel like he's going to see the future at MGF and everything like that. And it just makes perfect sense for these two dastardly heels to be aligned together. Um, but I'm sure like part of that, an ingredient in this turn is going to be, you know, revenge for Regal, um, which I'm here for. Like, I, I feel like Moxley's probably going to be written off for a little bit. We know that he's supposed to be, you know, going on a long overdue vacation. Um, yes. So I feel like that's probably going to be the case. Um, where we're going to see like the Blackpool Combat Club kind of like have to pick up the pieces. And that kind of felt like it was being played out after uh, the pay-per-view where the Blackpool Combat Club did come out and like kind of woke up Moxley and consoled him and everything like that. And the group kind of looked like they were in disarray. Now, with that being said, and this is just me speculating, I could totally see Willer Yuta also turning on the club and joining with mjf and regal especially since it was really regal who brought in yuda at the end of the day Mm -hmm. and it feels like you know there's so much tension between wheeler and brian we know that they you know um mjf and wheeler have a history together and it was wheeler's hand that mjf almost shook at the end of their match on dynamite that kind of got the ball rolling on this whole like storyline so i just i I could see that you know possibly being an outcome of all this and we'll get like a you know a total breakup of the blackpool combat club which makes sense it's totally fine like those guys will be Hmm. fine on the road (laughs) they're all yes exactly (laughs) exactly um so, and if that means we don't have to see them wrestle, you know, JAS for a while, I'm, I'm totally good with that too. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I feel like in the wake of uh, Moxley being gone for a little while, you know, Brian and Claudio and Wheeler will definitely have a falling out. And I think it'd be very interesting to see Wheeler join up with MJF and actually work as a team. Because, I mean, Lord knows... Uh, Wheeler could still, you know, work on promo work and stuff like that. And being with uh, Regal for longer could definitely help him yeah, as well. Yeah, and MJF for that matter. My guess, too, is that MJF is still probably aligned with the firm. Or they, like, do a handshake and just let bygones be bygones. Um, you know, and he kind of explains himself that they were just kind of a means to an end. Um, mm-hmm. You know, uh, and since they're hired guns, I feel like they'll be fine with that. And they can, you know, carry on as kind of this weird, you know, you know, uh, faction adjacent. So um, I don't know. I know there's a lot of different possibilities now, you know, that we've got, you know, this heel, you know, this monster heel champion in MJF. 
uh, who do you think is going to be the first real challenger, like first actual program for MJF? Like I know most likely it's going to be Starks who gets like the first title shot against him at Winter's Coming, but I don't see that being a big program. Yeah, that's probably like a one yeah. and done. Um, maybe if I mean if they keep it up with this whole the Blackpool Combat Club and stuff like that, I could see Brian. Yeah. You know, just being a first challenger, because that's someone who's not going to be afraid to lose either yeah. in that situation. But do you run a risk of having Brian lose too much? Eh, they'll, they'll put him on a big winning streak at some point. Yeah. He's someone that gets the crowd over with him, like, every time. I mean, so. listen, honestly, like, before he main evented WrestleMania, when he was with WWE, he was actually on a losing streak. So, mm. and it really didn't hurt him whatsoever. I mean, he's got so much equity built up. All he has to do is go on a little run of, you know, Brian Danielson, like, you know, caliber matches and he'll be back in the audience's good graces. So, um, yeah, you're right. He'll be fine. It just, it does feel like he's been losing a lot lately. Yeah. Though. <laughs> but maybe they built up. You know, this to the next pay-per-view and he can go on a nice run for the next. Because, I mean, the pay-per-view is until March, so he can go on a nice little run until then, you know, mm. and just go on, a, like, you know, an undefeated streak or something like that, you know, for the next, like, three months. And he'll be fine if he loses to MJF. I also wouldn't mind if in the future, you know, we get um, at least Jungle Boy and Darby Allen to challenge him. They don't have to win, of course, but I, I would like them to at least... Be trying to go up against MJF in the next yeah, year. Yeah, I just I, now that he has the title, like he's gonna have to wrestle more. Because <laughs> uh. how many? I mean, I know he had the whole summer off, but I mean, how many matches has he had this year? Like three yeah, or four, like right? a hand, uh, like a handful, <laughs> and that's it. And like last year, he didn't really have that many matches either. Hmm. Um, so I feel like he's gonna have to at least wrestle once or twice a month. <laughs> I mean, I feel like they're going to be like bullshit matches. Oh, like, I feel like he's just going to, sure, you know, nux every yeah, it's single opponent. Be something that, like, you know, Tony forces him to wrestle or something like that. Mm. Like, I wish they would do the thirty day clause that they used to do back in the day, where like the champion has to defend the belt at least once every thirty days, or you know, he has to relinquish the title. That was like an old like NWA WCW like stipulation for being champion, which you know obviously WWE is completely done away with, um, you know in you know recent history. So um, I'd love to see Tony Khan, you know, pull that out, you know, and say no, you have to at least defend the title once a month, you know, if you're our world champion. So, yeah, yeah, you still have the bullshit finishes, but at least you get to see, you know, mm -hmm. Max in the ring. Because otherwise, if I, I see him putting like a lackey then in like every other match mm -hmm. to like protect oh, him. Oh, yeah, absolutely. 100%. Which a, any good heel would do. So it yeah. is what it is. Uh, but yeah, that really does it for the pay-per-view. Uh, I think overall, I'd probably give this pay-per-view a B. Um, I thought it was a damn good pay-per-view. I, I Oh, Damon, David, well, Damon. It's a star rating. <laughs> oh, is it? It's been so long. Yes. It, it, have, we, have we not rated the last couple uh, pay-per-views, maybe? I think we have, but I mean, they're so they're so far in between. Yeah. We only do the big yeah, pay-per-views. Yeah, since we're know, not doing we're WWE anymore, right? Yeah. Uh, so I will go ahead. I will give this four stars. I feel like AEW's had better pay-per-views this year, but I, I feel like this has done a lot to kind of like right the ship. Um, after the debacle of All Out, 
not so much the pay-per-view itself, but more of the, you know, press conference that followed it. Uh, I, I think this did a lot for kind of like laying a roadmap, you know, for the future of AEW. And we saw a lot of storylines progressed, um, which gets me more excited than I've been in a while for AEW's future. I'm teetering on a 3.5, but I'm going to say a 4. Uh, just because the matches were, again, of quality. Just, I don't feel like they landed as hard as a lot of the last few pay-per-views were um, in general. Like I, I just didn't feel as hyped as I normally do after an AEW pay-per-view. But at the same time, I'm, I am like you. I said, I'm excited to see where this goes. I want to know what AEW looks like with a heel like MJF on top. So Yeah, this was definitely a show where I was more excited for the aftermath. You know, of of the pay-per-view more than I was, you know, excited for the show itself. And mm. usually that's not the case, but, like, things have been in such disarray <laughs> that, you know, it's hard not to have that outlook, if that makes any sense. Uh, you know, and we're still, I mean, even with the Elite back, we're still missing some key pieces in AEW, uh, which mm. I, I feel like a lot of people seem to forget about, like... I mean, we haven't seen Adam Cole since the Forbidden Door, you know, show. And like, you know, Hangman is out. Like, what would he have been doing on this show? Um, so, like, I'm just I'm, I'm just hoping that, you know, Khan has his full like roster at his disposal sooner than later. Um, you know, I, I mean, that also includes like House of Black. You know, I was kind of expecting to see an appearance by them. Um yes. You know, uh, you know, leading into like, you know, a, a storyline with the elite. But now that they have that best of seven series, who knows when they're going to show up? And once again, where the fuck is Miro? <laughs> I don't know, because they'd never said if he was injured or anything like that or. I mean, I listen, you got to give credit where credit's due. I mean, for them to give us a solid four star pay-per-view and then missing some really key pieces. um says a lot so and i feel like you know tony's had to do that like this entire year so i mean the guy really does deserve a little praise when you consider the dumpster fire that he was left with after that press conference and all the injuries he's had to deal with it's pretty impressive but anyway join us next week as we play some catch up and talk the aftermath of full gear well, that does it for this week. That's right, and as a friendly reminder, if you're listening to us on your favorite podcast platform, remember to subscribe, rate, and give us a five-star review. Exactly. It sure does help an independent podcast like ours to continue to grow. And while you're at it, make sure to tell a friend. Plus, if you like any of the stories we talked about on this week's episode, make sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to catch the full articles, trailers, memes, and more. That's right. You can follow us at Amazing Nerd Show on all social media platforms. And hey, if you're looking for extra content, make sure to catch our streams every weekend on Twitch, plus YouTube videos Monday through Friday. Want to support the show further? You can head over to tpublic.com and get yourself some amazing Nerd Show merch. We've got t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and more. And if you post what you bought and tag us on social media, we'll send you some additional nerd swag if you live in the United States. Well, all right, Damon, what are we talking about next week? All right, well, next week we'll have a review for the Guardians of the Galaxy Holiday Special and the Addams Family Spinoff Series Wednesday. And, of course, we'll be talking more about the aftermath of Full Gear. My name's Christian. And my name's Damon. And that was 
was The Amazing Nerd Show. Beetlejuice. 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 It's showtime.